0: Okay, it's Luke chapter sixteen, verse one, verses one to fifteen, top of the left-hand page. Here we go. Jesus told his disciples there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, "What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you cannot be manager any longer." The manager said to himself, "What shall I do now? My master has taken away my job." I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do, so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each of his master's debtors. He asked the first, "'How much do you owe my master?' "'800 gallons of olive oil,' he replied. The manager told him, "'Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 400.' Then he asked the second, "'And how much do you owe?' "'A thousand bushels of wheat,' he replied." He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed in the eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with very much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men, but God knows your hearts. What is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. This too is God's word. Luke chapter 16. Here's the depth of perception I'm going to start with. Luke chapter 16 follows Luke chapter 14 and 15. How about that? It's pretty deep already. Um, And last, two weeks ago, Monty was talking about the cost of following Jesus, the cost of discipleship. And he was looking at how that was a cost, and then last week Sam was talking about the three things that were lost. Uh, That was a coin, a sheep, and a son. And... Following on from that, Luke, you understand that the New Testament is not written in uh, chapters and verses and inverted commas, which it was sometimes, but it's written as a long continuous theme. And what has Luke been saying? Luke is dealing with the issue of money. It's been there in the background. The two people who didn't come to the feast of the kingdom were because they bought something, there was a lost coin. And floating around is this money. And actually Luke writes quite a lot, more than any of the other gospel writers, about money. And most of the time he is quoting exactly what Jesus says. And Jesus talks about money a lot. And it's fallen my lot to look at this passage. And I'm not sure it's quite uh, as easy as it looks. I find it's quite difficult. So in the background of this, of course, Jesus is brought up in a a poor um, community. His family were probably very poor himself, so he's not blind to the needs of people. And yet he's aware of the difference between rich and poor. Probably back in those days, uh, maybe a bit different from us, 90% of people were poor. And maybe there were about 10% or even less than that who were extremely rich. There was a big gap certainly around that part of the world in that time. So Jesus is aware of that and looks aware of it and starts to talk about money. And then Jesus tells this parable. So let's unpack it. Um, when, before we do this, there's four ways I approach something when it's a difficult passage. Uh, maybe I'll come up on, on, the, on the PowerPoint there. The first thing is, <clears throat> number one, is I admit that I don't know. Okay, That's a very good start whenever you're a preacher. Okay? Uh, is to admit that I really don't know and have a look at what some of the experts say. So normally I take about a week. This time it's taken two or three weeks to try and sort this out of my head to see exactly what's going on. So not saying where actually. Then the next thing I'm going to do is look at what the rest of Scripture says. And that will help us to have a bigger picture. And after that, we look at the bottom line. Uh, I'm a teacher. I teach in the tech. I teach people who don't want to be taught, okay? Um, very often, I have to remind myself of what I am trying to teach this bunch of people. Uh, you've already concentrated for longer than my usual classes, by the way, so thank you for that. So normally what I do is I write up on the board, this is what we're going to do today. Top right-hand corner. And I say, that's what I'm trying to teach you. And very often I'm teaching away and I look up at the corner and go, am I helping this, Peter, or am I not? And I have to keep reminding myself. So there's a bottom line coming. And that's the one thing I want you to remember if you forget everything else that I say is I drone on and on. And then finally we want to see, does it apply today? And if yes, how does that apply to us? So that's the for a path we're going to go to. Okay, let's have a look at the passage itself. Luke 16. Jesus, first of all, is talking to his disciples. And the Pharisees are listening in the background. Previously, he's been talking to the Pharisees. There are a bunch of guys who are very religious, very opinionated, and I uh, just think they're wonderful. And Jesus has been talking to them. He now turns and talks to his disciples, which might be the 12 guys. or probably the bigger group of about 30 people who sort of followed him about. And he's talking to them, and then he tells this parable. And let's remind ourselves, it's a Parable. Okay, the, I was always taught that a parable is trying to say one particular thing. Do not look for more than it is there or is meant to be there. Um, perhaps you're sitting wondering about the steward or maybe you're thinking uh, like last week, the parable of the lost coin. I do this. I don't know if you do this. I sit and I think. I put myself in the story. And when she finds the coin, I want to know where she found it. Uh, basically, sort of Jesus. No, no, no. It's a parable, Peter. Calm down. There's only one message behind it. So let's try and look at this parable. And remind ourselves that there is a central bottom line coming. Okay. There's a rich manager. The rich manager, according to those times and usual today, had probably other places to live. Wasn't maybe always there. He appoints a manager. And that manager, it's his job to look after his estate, the different things that he has to do, his business, and he would go and trust that manager. What happens to that manager has probably come back heard other people talking, or maybe found it himself, that he has a dishonest, dishonest manager uh, in, in charge. And he comes, and he obviously confronts him, and he says, what's this? Uh, and he's probably gone so far to realising this guy is bad news, and we're going to remove him. Okay, Remember, it's a parable. Don't read him too much. So he says, I'm going to remove him. Then there's a period of time when the manager gets to do something. It's obviously not instant. He's got a time and he's still the, the manager of this guy. What he does is he goes to um, the people who owe the, the master debts. Looks like there's two. Couldn't more, but at least he goes to two of them. And he says to one guy, what do you owe? And I think he says, oh, I owe so us say much. I owe um, 800 gallons of olive oil. Now, actually, that's on a massive amount. That is hundreds of thousands of pounds worth, okay? So that's a Jesus telling the story. And he says, okay, quickly take your bill and scrub that and make it half of that. And then he goes to the other guy who's got some weight, and he cuts his bill by not 50%, by 20% this time. And he's done that because whenever you were a manager, you basically lived, and you, uh, your place where you lived and your family was in the place that the master owned. You lived in his house. And so if you lost your job, you lost your house, you lost everything, and you were kicked out on the street. And this guy's been sharp. And what he's done is he's realized, I'm going to go to these guys... Reduce their bill considerably, there what they owe, so that whenever I am thrown out of that house, which could be in a couple of days' time, even sooner, I go knock in their door and they're doing go hi, remember me, and they go come on in. Oh, it's terrible or whatever, and stay with us. I'm reading more into the parable already, and that's what happens. What happens at the end of that? The manager, they, they, sorry, the master finds that, and he says to the steward, okay, he commands him not for his dishonesty. Let's be clear about that. He commends him for his shrewdness. And he says, yeah, you've been pretty shrewd. And that's all he commends him for. He still gets rid of him, but he commends him for that. The next portion is when Jesus finishing And the problem with this parable is actually, around verse 8 and 9, it's very difficult to say who's talking. Is it the master in the story? Is it Jesus commenting on the story? Or is it Luke commenting on Jesus commenting on the story? Again, it doesn't actually appear in Greek, it's not very clear, but that's the difficulty of something that we've got. And verses 8 and 9 are particularly difficult. Jesus finished, talked about the parable, and he turns around and he says, And you cannot serve God and money. It's the bottom line, coming that in the middle or two. He then goes on, he talks about trust. And what I'm going to suggest to you is that money and possessions is all about trust, not what you've got, but you're entrusted with money, entrusted with possessions. You and I are. And that's what we do with that. If we're uh, honest in it, small things, we'd be honest in the bigger. And then he finishes off with this comment to these sneering Pharisees, You are the ones who justify yourself in the eyes of men, but God knows your hearts. What is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. So there's the parable. Um, What do the experts say? Okay, I've read lots of this, okay? And the first line is generally always, this is a very difficult passage. And I'm going, thanks, Christoph. There's a very difficult passage, okay? And they, they try to, and I've read many different views and opinions on this. But largely, they're saying that, obviously, this manager it's because of the shrewdness of, his, of, of the manager that the master commands him, not for any other reason. Um, what might be of interest to you is that back in Israel, you were not allowed to charge interest. And most commentators think, and there seems to be quite a lot of uh, material outside the Bible that says there were certain ways of getting around that. Where if you lent somebody money and you, didn't, you weren't allowed to really claim interest on that, you could get around it by doing other things. And they appeared to think, and most of them agreed on this, that what actually this, the manager was doing is that these guys had a certain bill. On top of that was put a tax or something like that. So it was interest, but not really called that interest. And what the manager actually did is he went back and he said, there's what you owe, there's the tax, because it's different for both the two commodities. I'm removing that, so you have to pay your original bill. So whenever the guy comes, who's the master, again, it's just a parable, when he comes and he looks for his money, he can't complain because half of it's gone, because he should never really claimed it in the first place. And that's why he's turned, perhaps, usually, to the shrewdness. And he goes, you're a clever boy. You're dishonest and you're out of here, but you're clever because you have taken something which really shouldn't be charged. So, all of that thinking is in the background. I've just kind of read some of the experts. That's what they're saying. He doesn't condemn them for his dishonesty or wasting possessions, but he encourages for his shrewdness. And there's a little portion there in verse 8, I think. Uh, and then The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world, and we think this is now Jesus talking, the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of light. Who are the people of light? Um, well, 2,000 years later, we think that's the church, we think that's Christians. Back in that time, it was very probably the people of Israel. And what the Jesus is saying is that there are people outside, the heathen that you despise, are acting shrewdly, more shrewdly than Israel is itself that's who the people of light are. And then the next verse is a cracker. It says, it seems to back up that if you've got money, you can buy your way into heaven. Can I say that's not true, okay? It says, I tell you, you use worldly roots to gain friends for yourself. So when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. What the thought is behind that is, is that whatever possessions you've been given, whatever money you've been given, take that... Don't use it for yourself, use it to gain friends, so that whenever, at the end of it all, when the money is gone, you're dead, and everybody's gone, you're gone into heavenly places. You will meet people who will say, you're the guy who, or the woman, who used your wealth to gain friends, welcome in to heaven. That's the thought behind it. Um, Because the next thing I want to go on to is say, what did the rest of scripture say about money? And I do not have the smallest amount of time to talk about all of this. Um, what does the rest of the scripture say? Well, first of all, it says that money is neutral. There isn't bad money and good money. It's a bit like the internet, television. It depends how it's used. And that's the first thing I would say about the, what the Bible says about money. The rest of scripture tells us to be very careful about our wealth, about our riches, because our weakness, it can trip us up. And uh, I'm going to get more personal in a minute or two, but I think we all appreciate that. Lots of money, it's very difficult to live with lots of money. We'll look at the people who we think are extremely rich and look at their lifestyles. Very few of them get it right. What Jesus is saying, what the rest of the Bible is saying is that money is about faithfulness. That's why the next couple of verses are about being faithful. I want to stress that, that, what the Bible says, you are entrusted with things. All through the Old Testament and the New Testament, we are entrusted with the things that God gives to us. Our money, our possessions, our talents, our gifts, or whatever. And that is looking to us, God is looking, are you faithful for what I have given to you? How have you used those things? Um, Tom Wright says this, money is not a possession, it's a trust. God entrusts property to people and expects it to be used to his glory. And the welfare of his children, not for private glory. So what this parable is telling us is: do not be dishonest, be thoughtful and shrewd in how you deal with people and with money, and do not follow. He's not telling us to follow dubious practices and dubious values, like this this manager was. And uh, there's a there's a scripture that I'm going to quote up here, where it says, "And look, uh, yes, Timothy." Timothy chapter 6 verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides for us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and be generous and willing to share. In this way they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly Life. As I say, I haven't time to go into money. It's a subject that we shy away from as Christians, as anybody actually. Uh, But it's something that is vitally important that we sort of, we do need to get this this right. Uh, Can I just say also, we reject in this church uh, this health and wealth gospel. Uh, I think you know that. There's never any sense of it in Kirkpatrick. This idea that the better the Christian you are, the more money God will entrust you with and the richer you will be. That is nonsense. Um, In two days' time, I'm going off to Kenya. It's a mission trip for about three weeks. It's certainly not a holiday. It's the back end of the bush, and in the Horn of Africa where people are starving. And, oh, I've been four or five times, and I will meet again brothers and sisters that you and I share, because we're all part of the same family, part of the same kingdom, and they have nothing. And it would be most arrogant and wrong for me to tell them, you don't have anything because you're not doing very well as a Christian. This health and wealth stuff is nonsense. When you meet some of these guys, I'm looking forward to seeing them and uh, to just hearing their stories of how God's moving in their lives, even though they have very little. They do not live from year to year, they live almost from season to season, week to week. And we're going to go take over some uh, food and buy some stuff because they're starving at the moment. and That sort of puts things in perspective. So God says to us to take your money and use it for his glory. Okay, the bottom line is next on the screen. It's going to stay up there, I hope. You cannot serve God and money. Um, And that's the difficult part of the passage. People sometimes say to you, do you not struggle with the difficult parts of the Bible? Yes, there are difficult parts of the Bible that I don't fully understand. There's quite a lot of them, actually. I have difficulty with the bits that I do understand. Clearly the bits that do understand. For instance, I've written some of them down. Um, Be holy as I am holy. I understand that completely. It's difficult. Forgive one another. And be reconciled to your brother and sister. Help carry each other's burdens. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Those are the scriptures that I have struggles with and difficulties with. Not because I don't understand them, because I do understand them. Here's another one. You cannot serve both God and money. And then after he says to the Pharisees, Those who love money, God knows your hearts. What is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. Strong words. This uh, idea that Jesus is making mild just doesn't tie up with what he says and what he does. So we come now to applying it to you and I. And that's the really difficult part. And it's very difficult standing here because I'm the same as you. Uh, I was going to say, you know, we all want to have more money. Uh, I think if we're honest, we sit there and think. Uh, I'm going to tell the joke about the well-known joke about the Christian who's struggling and thinks if they had more money. And uh, they've been praying for quite a while, and they're really praying to God says, "Lord, if I had more money, things would be better. And things would be much easier if I had a lot more money. Could you please help me to win the lottery?" Okay. So praying, and then he hears the answer back from God says. Okay, but meet me halfway. Go and buy a ticket. So there you go. Basically, we've all been there. That's a joke, by the way. I was not advocating going to the lottery. Right? Just don't, don't quote me. But is this idea of money. If only it was better, things would be easier. And we've all been there. I'm there. I'm confessing that. What is at stake about us sorting this stuff out? You cannot serve both God and money. Not a fun subject. Firstly. Our joy and our contentment. I'm old enough to have known and now I know. And I need to learn it every day. It's not what I have. It's not my possessions that bring contentment. It's my relationship with God and with my brothers and sisters and the rest of this planet. It's how he wants to change me. And sometimes he uses money and the lack of money. And it's for my contentment and your contentment that this is a very important. This isn't a good subject today because it's easy, but because it's vital. What else? second reason I think we need to be very careful in this area is the whole world is watching. And they're expecting and looking to you and I, to the church, not to be serving money. And if we say we're serving God to serve God, this is difficult. I find this difficult, I'm sure you do too. And the third reason for Kirkpatrick, not particularly this morning, but during the years we go through, at this time of the service, just before it, somebody gets up to speak, there are about 200 to 250 children and young people who leave. They, of all people, for no other reason let it be this, they need to see people who know how to handle money correctly. We have been entrusted with a whole generation there that we can inspire and encourage and teach money is one of the things they're going to have to learn to deal with and they're not going to learn on much of it out there but they're going to learn it in our families in our church in our lives so it's vital it's great can I also say that for those of us who are in need and struggling please do not feel in any way embarrassed or under any, any condemnation And as a church, we're going to have to learn how to do this, to be open to people that you trust, talk, ask for help, and be open to that. I just want to say that before I go on to the next bit. Okay. Whenever I'm in college, and I talk to students about second or third week, I generally say, okay, what do you want to be if you grow up? Or sorry, when you grow up, okay? What do you want to be if, when you grow up? And we'll go around the room, and <laughs> the first bit's pretty true. You go around the room and they say, oh, I want to be famous. I want to do this. I want to win the X Factor. You wouldn't believe it, young people are saying. it's great crack, okay? And, you go, and then somebody always says, I want to be rich. I stop, and I say, congratulations, you've already achieved that. And they look at me, and says, compared to 80% of this world, maybe even higher... You are extremely rich. And then I might tell my people in Africa or wherever you've seen other people. And they go, no, Peter, you don't understand what I mean. I go, no, you don't understand what I mean. We have this debate between us. And it opens up a great discussion about, essentially, can I say this? This is a difficult part. We are extremely rich in the eyes of most people in this world. I'll be honest, guys, really honest. I don't know how to deal with that. I feel guilty sometimes I will go to Africa and because I love taking photographs and I'm very keen photography, I will be carrying around my neck a camera and lens which is worth more than they'll see in years and years I don't know what God thinks about that, honestly I don't know, I'm being really honest if at the end of the day he'll come and say, Pete well done oh it was great where you lived and all of that, what you gave to you and that was fantastic or he'll say, Pete, what about that fortune that I gave to you I suspect it's somewhere in between, and I suspect it's about faithfulness of using what was given to us. I just want to approach this, first of all, and say we are extremely rich, and there's a great danger that we end up serving money and misinterpreting that and it's that which brings us joy and happiness. And so, um, it's a good story. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, out in Kenya, they are, they are sort of um, starving. And in the church that I used to go to, they had a coffee morning. And this is great. I have to tell you this story. And in the coffee morning, we thought we might raise a couple of hundred pounds. We baked things. <laughs> That's us just a wee. Jill baked things. And other people bake things. Okay, you don't eat what I bake. And we baked things. And we, we took them down and we sold them on a Saturday morning. And thought we might raise some money. I am glad to tell you, okay, 12,000 pounds was raised in one morning. Now you hear stories of the church and they're tight-fisted. I want you to tell that story. Not because the church or we Christians sound great, but that's the, the feel of what God is saying. Use what you've got and we're going to take that. We're going to buy grain because it's very expensive over there and we're not going to hand that stuff out. We're going to give it to the Christians and the churches and the schools and the orphanages which we will be going to and say you give that out. We don't want you to think it was the rich Westerners brought this to you. God provided this. And they will use that as a time to gather people in, to feed them, and to tell them about Jesus and his goodness to them. It's a great story. So it's not always bad news. And so for us, God comes and he challenges us. Uh, This is a part of the service where uh, I would ask you to turn around to the person beside you and tell them what money you earn. That's another joke. Okay, We're not going to do that. But did you know, Okay, I found this on BBC website, in Norway... You, how much you earn every year is published. And you can go to the local library and you can look up so-and-so's name, Ebbinghaus, there he is, <laughs> Peter Jordan, and you can look and you can find out exactly, to the very penny, how much they earned. Hey, aren't we glad we don't live in Norway? But that's the sort of openness that we have to do today. So I can't come and I, there's no way I'm going to do this. As that sort of close, the application of this, I can't do it for you. You can't do it for me. Yes, we can hold the session and please do account for the 10% that comes. But the other 90% is up to us. And I don't want a sense of anybody to be condemned. I'm only preaching this because that's what it says. And God says it's not about money, it's about who you serve and how you serve God. And if we can, and, I, and there's not a sense, I've, I've been in Kirkpatrick for not very long, for a couple of years now, there's no sense in this church that that stuff, that money, rules us. It's great. Let's not ever lose that. Let's take everything that He's given to us, our possessions, the money, and let it serve God rather than us serve it. And if you're a young people, I'm aware you're not out there. If you're 16, 17, 18, you're thinking about careers, you're thinking about jobs. Think about money but don't make it the sole aim. Talk to other people who are maybe older. Well, what job would I do? And uh, there are other people who I meet and some of the students I meet, they get jobs where they go out and they help other people. They serve other people and I am delighted with that. Rather than making and their money, their God and their aim. And as I say for the rest of us, it's maybe a time periodically to set out, here's what we've got. Here's what we do with it. Lord, bless it, talk to us and encourage us and help us to use it correctly for you. So that's me more or less finished. Preaching on this because it's vital. It's an area where God wants us to be victors. God wants us to clearly serve him rather than serving money. And the ins and outs of that I don't control. I don't have an input into you and you don't have an input into me. But let us be guided by God's spirit. As to how we make sure that God is our master. And we're serving him. And I'm interested in a second, but I haven't time to talk about this. He turns around to the Pharisees and he says, What is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. That is the context in which we as church, now let's leave money aside, and we as church are now living. Where there are things in this world, many of them, which are, dare I say, detestable in God's sight yet are the values of this world I want to mention this BBC website in Colombia this week three guys their marriage relationship was recognised by the state they are a throuple as opposed to a couple now I don't know what you think about that I'm just looking at that last passage what is highly valued is not thought so by God that's the context we live in and we've got to be so careful to know how to challenge those things and yet not be part of the problem. So that's me. That's the passage done. Remember the top line. There it is. You cannot serve both God and money. What is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we weren't there when you said this at the outset in the first time. But it does apply to us. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you that you tackle things that are vital in our lives. And I just ask that you guide us by your Holy Spirit to make you Lord of our lives. Every day and everything that we do. And not money. And not other things that you've given to us. Reputations, etc, etc. Help us, Lord, to be lights to these people that we live amongst. Help us to be an example to young people who will need to know how to live this life. And help us to find joy and contentment with what we have and what you have given to us. Realizing that we are faithful and giving it back to you. Bless us all, bless those in holiday. Be with us as church and help us shine for Jesus. Amen.